This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning. Professor Wood Scott here in the uh, Warthog Manly Man Cave Command Center here in the uh, Melvin Law Studio in the undisclosed location at Piney Woods in North Central Florida. Kind of gloomy day today, a little dark and uh, uh, not cold, but, uh, you know, kind of gloomy if one is given to being cheerful when the sun's out and gloomy when the sun's not. But, you know, the sun may come out later on. Plantation Mark, I have you checking in 25 degrees in Virginia, he says. Well, um, you know, there you are, brother. I mean, you could have been, you know, get a heater. I don't know what to say. I'm kidding. Uh, Ray Stern's ready for class. He's sitting on the front row now. I mean, that's quite something. He started out probably in the back row with his hat on backwards, but he's here every day early now. And uh, even my good buddy, Danny Lane, a real cowboy is watching. I'm flattered and, and honored to have Danny here uh, live with us on the Facebook chat and uh, in the Mellon Law Studio. He's, um, he's the real deal. And uh, we, you know, uh, all, uh, all the stuff you see is a horseback rounding up with cattle with dogs and it's a wonderful life. Um, and it's going to be less and less available to people, even for those of us who love it, because of, um, you know, the urban sprawl and the urban growth and all that. It's a real struggle to hang on to uh, the rural land. So we're doing the best we can. Um, today, of course, I've got, I always start off with the local stuff. And, uh, you know, the local stuff today is kind of needs to be straightened out. I, I, um, I, I guess you understand that uh, uh, we've been sold a bill of goods on, uh, on climate change. It started out. I can't remember all the names that was given, um, but it's been given names and now it's climate change. And uh, I'm, I've gotten so that I need to research and get the truth about climate change because you're not going to get it from the media. You're not going to get it from the politicians. You're not going to get it from the environmentalists. So we're going to run a little clip here for you in a moment. And I think is the best uh, information we've been able to get. I have anyway, on the so-called climate change. And I'll share it with you uh, in a moment. And uh, then we'll have some comments afterwards. But it's all started off by the fact that very early I got an email from Nathan Scott saying that this was ridiculous, uh, this GRU plan. And I had Nathan on. Good morning, Jim. I had a GRU uh, issue and Nathan Scott on the show uh, recently. And, uh, you know, we learn, but the, the city doesn't. Um, so the city has bought, ever since Begin Underhand, um, the city has bought into this whole lock, stock, and barrel of, uh, of this um, uh, um, notion of the, the sky is falling, chicken little, the sky is falling. Man is the culprit. Man is going to foul up nature as if man could foul up nature. I'm the only person who's been able to get it to rain when I wanted to, and I do that with a naked rain dance. I mean, come on. I don't know of anybody else who has any influence over nature like I do um, with the naked rain dance, which is really a Native American uh, rain dance. Okay. Uh, back to the pagan days of relationships to nature. 
And then you boom, 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 wah, ya, ho, wah, You've heard that before and not, I better be calmed down, not so loud because we might have a you know, real, real thunder bloomer come along here. But, you know, this whole city is bought into this stuff and it's costing everyone a bunch of money. And that's this net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2045. I will not be around. I'll be in the great pasture in the sky um, or maybe the one right outside the farmhouse here um, in 2045, I assure you, unless, you know, my mother made it to 107. So maybe I'll have to eat the words, but I won't know where I am at that age. Um, but the, the debt then, well, GRU uh, will be billions of dollars. And the GRU staff has informed uh, the city leaders. This is coming out of the Gain uh, Bill Sunset, written by John Henderson, which is really a U.S. Nate, a Today Network paper. It's not its own writers around here anymore, except for Birkenstock writer, and that's Cindy Squirko, um, and a couple of sports writers. So um, um, you've got uh, this whole maddening rush to the edge of the cliff. Uh, to support renewable energy policies and net zero emissions. Um, it, it, you know, you're be, this is being taught in the universities. It's being uh, promulgated in, in the coffee shops by the libs. Um, and um, th th this is the real truth of the matter is that uh, uh, the debt is just going to be unmanageable to make this happen. Um, and uh, even Bolarski, who runs the risk of being fired anytime he gives these people the international fighter pilots salute uh, has been saying, listen, you know, you know, you're going to mess around here. Even this proposed solar farm down you know, Archer's always been the redheaded stepchild in this County. They put the landfill down there for a while and that got so bad. And they finally ran it out. Now they want to uh, take up the farmland and put all this uh, solar stuff in there, uh, which is going to be very expensive. It's not what it's cooked out to be. I can tell you right now, um, it doesn't heat solar when there's no sun and, um, you got to have the battery issue solved or to store the energy when there is sun. So, um, they're, they're all into this net zero thing. And the reality is that, uh, you know, you're going to have to have, uh, hydroelectric power or wind power is not going to do it. Um, maybe nuclear, but nuclear has got a bad taste in the mouth because of Chernobyl and places like that where, something's gone wrong. And uh, uh, so you've got the, the problem with solar storing energy, which can't be worked out in any kind of economical way. So um, here we are, we have an honest voice, Bolarski, I guess, you know, he was timid in the beginning. In the beginning, he was defending the city commission. If you go back and check the papers, uh, you'll see that he is, a, a, you know, he was in the same camp as the commission. And suddenly, somewhere along the line, it even got too much for him, apparently. And he began to, um, um, you know, stand in opposition or at least a point of clarity uh, with these people who uh, now Lauren Poe's name makes me think of a boy named Sue. I mean, who named Lauren Poe Lauren? A boy named Sue. Well, anyway, we got uh, this net zero goal and they're obsessed with this now. This has become the. The, the big deal, which will dictate organizations and uh, projects and research and all this business. Um, it's going to be a $6.5 billion net zero debt uh, that we're going to have to tote through the poor, hapless commercial and, and, and private uh, individuals who are, um, are going to uh, have to foot the bill. 
um, uh, you know, this whole issue of, sto- of storage of energy, uh, they're, they're thinking that's going to go down. I got to I got to I got to share with you something here in a moment. Um, we're going to figure out when to run it. Uh, I guess we'll run it coming up in a minute. OK, um, uh, uh, production. I want to th- I want to thank Tony Dominic for this because he posted on his um, uh, Facebook site this quote and it piqued my interest. And I went out and researched a man named Rich. Richard Lindzen, who is an MTI, MIT, MIT professor emeritus of meteorology at, at, you know, at, at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I'm going to tell you, that's creme de creme. Um, and he said in this quote that Tony Dominic posted, which I shared on my line, was what historians will definitely wonder about in future centuries is how deeply flawed logic obscured by shrewd and unrelenting propaganda actually enable a coalition of powerful special interests to convince nearly everyone in the world that CO2 from human industry was a dangerous planet-destroying toxin. It will be remembered as the greatest mass delusion in the history of the world, that CO2, the life of plants, was considered for a time to be a deadly poison. Future generations will wonder in bemused amazement that the early 21st century's developed world went into a hysterical panic over a globally average temperature increase of a few tenths of a degree, and on the basis of gross exaggerations of highly uncertain computer projections, combined into implausible chains of inference, proceeded to contemplate a rollback of the industrial age. That's Richard Linson in the Carbon Sense Coalition. Now, let me tell you, as a writer, I can tell you that that is an organized mind. I read through through those sentences, that is a very disciplined, organized mind writing beautiful, well-constructed sentences. You don't see that from somebody who is not disciplined and intellectually trained to the T. Um, so I got interested in who Richard Lindzen is, and I ran across from PragerU about a five-minute clip that he gave uh, uh, to the public. And so we're going to share it with you and let you take a look at it. I think I've long wondered, uh, my friends, my students, henceforth, when we're all carbon dust, you know, they're even after cow flagellations, as you know. They want, I've even seen preposterous things as bags over the rump of cattle. I've never, go figure. But um, uh, I've often wondered, you know, 50, 60, 100 years from now, what would be the things that the survivors on the planet then would look back and study about uh, that caused America to decline and eventually perish? Uh, and this obviously could be the main one. So production, uh, give me a high sign when you're ready to run this. We're going to run this. I think about five minutes um, and uh, a little bit over five minutes. This is uh, Dr. Richard Lindzen, and I'll look for the cue from production. I'm just a few, couple seconds behind you, and when it's running, he'll give me a thumbs up. And I, I don't know yet if it's running, but uh, I'll keep talking till. I'm an atmospheric physicist. I've published more than 200 scientific papers. For 30 years, I taught at MIT, during which time the climate has changed remarkably little. But the cry of global warming has grown ever more shrill. In fact, it seems that the less the climate changes, the louder the voices of the climate alarmists get. So let's clear the air and create a more accurate picture of where we really stand on the issue of global warming, or as it is now called, climate change. There are basically three groups of people dealing with this issue. Groups one and two are scientists. 
Group three consists mostly at its core of politicians, environmentalists, and media. Group one is associated with the scientific part of the United Nations International Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC Working Group One. These are scientists who mostly believe that recent climate change is primarily due to man's burning of fossil fuels, oil, coal, and natural gas. This releases CO2, carbon dioxide, into the atmosphere, and they believe this might eventually dangerously heat the planet. Group two is made up of scientists who don't see this as an especially serious problem. It's the group I belong to. We're usually referred to as skeptics. We note that there are many reasons why the climate changes, the sun, clouds, oceans, the orbital variations of the Earth, as well as a myriad of other inputs. None of these is fully understood, and there is no evidence that CO2 emissions are the dominant factor. But actually, there is much agreement between both groups of scientists. The following are such points of agreement. One, the climate is always changing. Two, CO2 is a greenhouse gas without which life on Earth is not possible, but adding it to the atmosphere should lead to some warming. Three, atmospheric levels of CO2 have been increasing since the end of the Little Ice Age in the 19th century. Four, over this period, past two centuries, the global mean temperature has increased slightly and erratically by about 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit or one degree Celsius. But only since the 1960s have man's greenhouse emissions been sufficient to play a role. Five, given the complexity of climate, no confident prediction about future global mean temperature or its impact can be made. The IPCC acknowledged in its own 2007 report that, quote, the long-term prediction of future climate states is not possible, end quote. Most importantly, the scenario that the burning of fossil fuels leads to catastrophe isn't part of what either group asserts. So why are so many people worried, indeed panic-stricken, about this issue? Here's where Group 3 comes in, the politicians, environmentalists, and media. Global warming alarmism provides them, more than any other issue, with the things they most want. For politicians, it's money and power. For environmentalists, it's money for their organizations and confirmation of their near-religious devotion to the idea that man is a destructive force acting upon nature. And for the media, it's ideology, money, and headlines. Doomsday scenarios sell. Meanwhile, over the last decade, scientists outside of climate physics have jumped on the bandwagon, publishing papers blaming global warming for everything from acne to the Syrian civil war. And crony capitalists have eagerly grabbed for the subsidies that governments have so lavishly provided. Unfortunately, Group 3 is winning the argument because they have drowned out the serious debate that should be going on. But while politicians, environmentalists, and media types can waste a lot of money and scare a lot of people, they won't be able to bury the truth. 
The climate will have the final word on that. I'm Richard Linson, Emeritus Professor of Atmospheric Sciences at MIT for Prager University. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, click here. To help keep our videos free, donate here. All right. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. That is um, uh, given to us. We share that off at Prager University. And our, our guest there um, uh, was uh, Dr. Richard Linzen via that uh, video on YouTube. Um, and uh, I was just uh, speaking with production uh, off while we were watching this that um, this, this presentation by Linzen is so well organized and so to the point and succinct and classified and separated. You know that's a well-organized mind, and he knows what he's talking about. Anytime you see the complicated reduced to the simple and clear without destroying the meaning of the subject, you've got a very well-organized mind because you cannot, you cannot organize things into their essence without having a, a, a way to discipline yourself and weed out all the unnecessary information. It doesn't contribute to the point. <laughs> this old idea of discipline in writing uh, and discipline and sentence writing and paragraph structure and essay, uh, all the things in which we arrange our thoughts through alphabetic systems. Um, this really is uh, probably as close as you're going to get to the truth in today's world. For example, if you go over to any of the comments made by politicians, which is a class of uh, nuts, if you will, in this presentation by uh, Lindzen, um, uh, you get you get right away the the, uh, the uh, Schumers and those people who are fanning the flames for the climate change and building the uh, coffers of the money and subsidies. Um, Biden's uh, supposed one point seven trillion dollar uh, Build Back America, which we'll get into, is really more on way over five million. Uh, it's a social welfare and green energy legislation giveaway. It's going to be a gigantic gigantic slush fund for green energy legislation. And it's going to be uh, built around this concept of renewable energy initiatives and government programs. And it's going to be a massive government giveaway. This is according to Mitch McConnell um, of green initiatives. And it's going to give rise to a whole new generation of waste and abuse. Well, clearly, Lenzel sees this and understands it and feels compelled to clarify it and talk to us about it. Um, we have a precedent for this. We have the Obama-era solar company called Solyndra, which was a gigantic failure, which was heavily subsidized by the U.S. government. Um, but if you listen to, to uh, Schumer give the propaganda out, he says, oh, this is a very great program because it's going to fight climate change and thereby create jobs for tomorrow. Um, this is the kind of gobbledygook uh, that uh, uh, Lindzen thinks uh, henceforth and years to come, uh, people who study us as failures will look back and say, what rabbit did they chase down which hole? I mean, this is, this is probably maybe the biggest one, although there's a couple more that I'm going to get into today. I probably could have called today's show uh, Chasing Rabbits Down Holes, but I call it the cost of climate change. It's really the cost of of listening to politicians, uh, talk about that, which they know. We've got some here on the county commission. Mary Catherine Alford, for example, has just absolutely, in my book, corrupted the name of environmental engineers. The environmental engineers have ceased to be true engineers. 
they are ideology, the ideologues, and they are uh, it's a, a religion to them. I become so skeptical skeptical of anybody who as, uh, claims to be a quote unquote environmental engineer or uses the word environment. Uh, I think right away it raises a red flag for me that, and I, I it's my problem, uh, guess. Uh, of that they're nutcases. I mean, they they they're ideologues. They're, this is their religion. Um, they've got to somehow put man back in his place in the scheme of things with nature, as if they were not part of the problem. And um, right now, there's some calculations going on by this Alfred Commissioner. She's a commissioner, going on about what trip to Washington would create the least carbon footprint of uh, of CO2. I mean, it's maddening to watch this stuff. And it's you know being taken seriously by people like her, and um, so it's good to have another voice because you won't hear it. I don't know if you'll hear this voice anywhere else than maybe right here on the Ward Scott Files, unless you seek it out. Maybe Prager U is a good place. Um, I, I hear very good things about them, but um, you know the point is, as a student in Professor Warthog's class, research class here, and you as members of the research team to learn how to think for yourselves and learn how to find the information that will allow you to think critically and clearly for yourself. So you've always got to check your works consulted and make sure that they're not um, um, unsound and that you're getting good thinkers uh, opinions from which you can draw your own conclusions as you examine and analyze them. Uh, so your works consulted is your first step in research. You go and you read everything you can. And you know from nutcase publications to this publication of that, and after a while, there begins to be a tune that you, you feel is reliable and makes sense. And that one, then you go back and look to see from whence it came. And that becomes your work cited as you reduce all the consult uh, consultation to that which you're going to use to support your point of view. So this is part of my work cited right now. Uh, I first consulted it. I first got the tip to consult it from the post on Facebook. Then I went and researched the writer, and I've, I've not even presented the whole, whole background of the writer, which is a stellar. Uh, and then I, uh, uh, I began to look and see if I could, if it, if it, if it could use it in, in something, because I'm trying to find the truth. And the truth is that climate change, in my opinion, is a hoax. And in the opinion of people whose opinions I respect, it's a hoax. But it's going to be a very expensive hoax. Now, there's no question, but what? The battle, if you really want to fight the onset of the industrial age, you're fighting it too late, and you're fighting it. The Southerner was fighting it. The Southerner did not want to go industrialized. That's what the war was about between the North and the South. Slavery was just a, you know, it had nothing to do with the main issue of whether we would be a, a huge agricultural community in this country or whether we would have sections of agricultural community and sections of industrial community or whether the whole dang thing had to be industrial, which eventually it became. You have to understand that when Jefferson and these guys came here, this, this continent where we're sitting, you go look at the, go look at the globe, okay? Where we're sitting in the hemisphere, we're sitting in, in the longitude, latitude, all that business. The United States of America sits between two big bodies of water with prevailing crosswinds that bring the weather and then the tributary of river systems down the middle draining into the Gulf. And then you have this enormous thing, which is called the breadbasket of the world, where you can feed the world. 
with wheat and corn and soybeans and all that down the middle of the country. Uh, and in the South, the mistake the South made, we know, was growing food, uh, growing crops for money instead of growing crops for food. They started growing cotton. We can't eat cotton. So the moment you start growing cotton, you're at the mercy of the international markets and you're at the mercy of the, the, the ebbs and flows of those markets. The South always thought that England would come in on its side during the war uh, against Yankee aggression. When uh, uh, it turned out, and, and, and it blockade the ports of, of Yankees, but it turned out there was a surplus of cotton in the world because India had come into the production. And so England stayed out of the war and didn't help the South. And the South were Anglophiles. They really wanted to recreate uh, the uh, society of Mother England more than anything else. Uh, the Yankees had their version, but it was industrialized. England had seen the perils of industrialization. That's what Charles Dickens is all about. It was the best of times and worst of times. One of the best opening sentences to a work of literature you'll ever read. And it's paradoxical because it was the best of times because the industrial age was beginning to free up the common man who could accumulate the wealth heretofore available only to the kings. So that began to build a strong middle class and they began to rebel against the aristocratic class and create their own power group. And that was the best of times. It was the worst of times because it produced the big cities and the big uh, teeming uh, gives and you know swings of poverty and 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 profit. And uh, hence you have uh, Dickens focusing on the children, uh, which becomes very interesting because they're wards of the state, uh, and um, you know they are taught to be pickpockets and. Uh, it's, it's, it's what Charles Dickens saw and wrote about, but it was nothing new to the Southern. The Southerners saw it coming. So now, if you wanted to do that, and if you really want to do it now, we've said this before, go to the Southern Hemisphere. That's where the pioneering is going on. Stop the depletion of the equatorial rainforest. No, that's not going to happen. You know, it's just simply not going to happen because man is what man is. So this idea that man can teach man something is really problematic. Uh, it's, it, you know, this, and so they've invented these phrases, climate change and the, all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, somebody like, uh, some local commissioner is going to teach the rest of us how to travel to Washington DC without leaving a carbon footprint. Are you kidding me? I mean, what in the world are you talking about? Um, so, you know, we're really deep into this. If you, and if you really want to read about it and study it, go read the 19th century poets, um, uh, read Wordsworth, read, the, read the, uh, Gerald Manley Hopkins, read these people who were, were the visionaries of, of, of saw what was coming. The world is too much with us late and soon, getting and spending way late, we way laced our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away, a sordid boon. A sordid boon is a filthy pleasure. And Wordsworth is standing on a pleasant lee, which is a meadow by the side of the ocean, uh, a little, and he's, he's looking at the ocean with the land to his back and he realizes that the industrial age is upon us. This is written in the early 1800s. And he says, the world is too much with us late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. What happened to us when we changed into the industrial age is everything became one of those two things, getting the money and spending the money. And when he says, little we see in nature that is ours, 
We saw nothing in nature that we were responsible for except extracting from nature those material things that we could translate into goods that we could get and sell. But he couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop it. So really, I guess today he would be in the camp of those who would tell you, as he H.T. Uh, Odom told me, hey, it'll work itself out through the natural process because man is man. And man has his, you know, we're not trying to save the earth, by the way, of the global change. We're trying climate change. We're trying to save man's niche on Earth. Earth will Earth will prevail. Just ask the dinosaur. Uh, you know what he felt whenever he smelled that first bit of asteroid dust in his nostrils. Uh, he didn't drop the asteroid on the Earth that extinguished him. It just happened. It's natural. I mean, it's the way it goes. So um, I thought it was an interesting little part of the class today, students, for you to think about uh, these things in a way that's much larger than you will get from uh, even your college professors. Uh, we're gonna get into that after the break, how corrupt the college thinking is, but it's not corrupt the way these politicians will have you think it's corrupt. These liberal politicians who are going after DeSantis and Trump. Uh, everything, all roads lead back to Trump, remember that. Everything leads back to Trump. So you can contact me in the Melton Law hotline, 352-325-3938 or on the chat bar here. But that's what the first part of this class is about today. Learn to think for yourself, learn to find the information yourself and have conversations with the smartest people you can possibly get to tolerate you and learn to read, weed out the phonies. Be right back on the Ward Scott Files. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. All right, welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Man Cave Command Center. And I um, hope you're having a good class today. Um, we try to give you a high, high level of um, experiences here. Uh, I don't know how much longer I can keep it up. Um, I've been doing I've been doing it since 2012, either on the radio or the podcast system. And the podcast system is tough because Facebook has decided to censor me. I can't boost the show. Um, YouTube has taken us down once. Facebook has taken us down once. After a while, you know, people hide. They don't sponsor you. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. We're winding down to the end of the year. And, you know, I don't know what else I'll do, but we'll see how it goes. It's... Uh, and so if the notes and every little bit of encouragement I get from you keeps me going, I run out and I get a nice note from somebody that says, really enjoyed today's show. That helps me. Um, a donation freak infrequently, except from one or two people, helps a little bit. So um, uh, quite a bit, as a matter of fact. So um, but after a while, you, you, you get to the place where, um, well, you pay, you've done your duty. You, 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 play, you played your role. So uh, I let somebody else take up the uh, 
the effort now, but it's, you know, it's tough. I can't I think of anybody even come in and sub in the show uh, except for Tim Martin. Um, and I've been looking high and low, you know, cause every once in a while you might want to hear somebody else think, but you know, finding a really good thinker uh, who can cover a whole waterfront of issues is not easy to do. Um, I, uh, you know, in my in my teaching experiences, uh, you're lucky if you have. Uh, let's face it, quietly, I'll give you the truth. You're lucky if you got one or two really bright people in the class. Uh, the others are mostly followers, and they learn the system, and they do quite well. But they're not creative. They they can't uh, put stuff together in a, in a tapestry that shows it how they all see. Intelligence is the ability to show relationships among seemingly unrelated uh, parts. May I repeat it for you? Intelligence is the ability to show relationships among seemingly uh, unrelated parts. Uh, if you take these uh, IQ tests, you look at them, they're looking to see if you can recognize the patterns. They'll give you a box with boxes inside the box and give you three boxes going from left to right. And uh, you look for a pattern that is in, 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 and try to find out what the pattern would be for the third one, which is empty, which has to fit the pattern set by the previous two. <clears throat> this is a, uh, and then there's the time. So, you, 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 you know, you do that very, very quickly. But the whole test, again, is to see if you can find the relationships among seemingly unrelated parts. The most intelligent uh, example we have of this probably in the 20th century, I suppose still in the 21st, uh, I haven't talked to my uh, relative here is a, who is a, a, a physicist. Uh, um, and, um, but um, um, probably is E equals MC squared. E equals MC squared maybe uh, is poetry because it's uh, said the most in the fewest number of letters. Um, um, that's what poetry is, saying the most you can with the least number of letters. Um, that's what Hemingway called grace. A grace is the greatest distance covered with the fewest movements. Um, that makes you graceful. Um, <clears throat> so if you walk and watch an old man walk and it takes him uh, uh, 15 steps to cover uh, three yards and you watch a, uh, a, a track star and it takes uh, a one step to cover um, uh, fifth, you know, 20 yards, well, you look, you're looking at grace. So um, what you have then is you have E equals MC squared, which is done in a combination of alphabetic and numeric symbols. E is from the alphabet and uh, uh, the squared is from mathematics. Uh, the equals is uh, also from mathematics. But if you write it out, then it's all from letters of alphabetic systems. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Um, that is taking seemingly unrelated parts and showing the relationships among them. Now, Einstein could go to the board and show you that how that was true mathematically, or at least theoretically possible mathematically. Um, and it could also be translated from mathematics. I, I'm, always, I'm always interested in people who say, well, she did well in English, but she did terrible in math. There's no reason for that if you have a good teacher. All you have to do is explain to the person who did well in English um, that the symbols are simulation models. All images are simulation models. The alphabet is a simulation model, and the number is a simulation model. A simulation of what? A simulation of a reality or a piece of it. So energy is we reduced to the symbol of E, which one letter, or we write out in the long word, left to right in English, E and E-R-G-Y. And uh, then we have a noun that is agreed upon to have that meaning. Uh, 
squared is uh, also done uh, linguistically and uh, numerically. So there's no difference, but a good teacher can point that out. A good teacher can, um, there's no such thing as silos like that. If you're good, theoretically anyway, if you're good in English, you'd be good in math. And if you're good in math, you'd be good in English. If you had good teachers who could show you how those things are the same. Uh, I used to tell the football players this, listen, if you guys don't think you're smart, uh, those of you who can run these pass patterns properly and who can read this playbook and understand it can also understand sentence structure because there's no difference. You're studying structure in the pass patterns. You're studying structure in the plays we're running. So that is a structure not, in, uh, not unlike that of putting a sentence together, putting a thought together. We're putting a thought together. And on top of that, we're doing it with abbreviated signals, hut, hut, things like that, or code words. And everybody's got to understand that code word. So I submit to you that the players on a football team uh, who can do well are also smart. Now, they may not be smart in books because nobody's even or they haven't cared to put their shoulder to that rock. But they could uh, if they had a good coach and, and they were interested. Because you don't learn anything you don't want to learn. I will never learn to sew unless I'm in prison, and I guess I'd have to learn to sew then, uh, you know, which is everything's possible. I see production laughing, but, you know, you never know. You go off to the political jug. They could come along and cuff me, uh, my production boys, for being a, 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 in the political hothouse here. So it's happened. Come on. You know, where wards got go? Oh, the doggone authorities came and got him. What did they get him for? Oh, for saying a bad word. What did word did he say that was bad? Oh, he said the word Negro. Well, that is a word that is a race. Well, no, it's not a correct word you can say now. He's off to the jug with him. Uh, stuff has happened to people like this. You know, come on. So I might have to learn to sew sooner or later. <laughs> but, you know, you talk about this. This is where it was taking me next into the academic freedom issue. I laugh when I see these hysterical comments by somebody like Wasserman Schultz, who's a nutcase, who says she's troubled by reports uh, that she hears that the COVID stuff was covered up at the university. And, you know, she's troubled by the reports that these lefty professors can't go uh, talk against DeSantis for money. And uh, she's troubled by troubled. That's one of those fancy words for I don't really give a damn, but I want to act like I do. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, the word trouble doesn't mean anything. But I'm troubled by the fact that she's troubled uh, by the fact that she thinks academic freedom is being dumped on. Let me tell you, in her underneath her own nose, I'm going to reread this for you. This is academic freedom that's being dumped on. This is posted, by the way, on the uh, wardscottfiles.com on Ward's uh, hot bulletin board under UF dance students letter. Now, I was leaked this letter by a nervous person who got the letter and was afraid to ever uh, reveal its identity uh, for fear of of payback from the university. This is a letter that I'm just going to go through the highlights of. Uh, you tell me if this is academic freedom. It's out there. It's had 326 hits, by the way, on the Ward Scott Files, Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. And you want to go take a look at it. It's called UF Dance Students Letter. Uh, 
Uh, the, and I'm just going to skip into the heart of the matter. The faculty members of the dance area uh, emphatically condemn global anti-blackness. What? Does this sound like academic freedom to you? The faculty members of the dance area, SOTD, uh, just a section of the, can emphatically condemn global uh, anti-blackness, including the brutal murders of black people. Now, the thing that's wrong with that, it doesn't have the rest of the thought by black people. He leaves that out. And it implies that the brutal murders of black people are done by white people. This is your poppycock pablum at the University of Florida, my friends. And they're over here bitching about DeSantis. How would you like to be a faculty member and get this letter? And by the way, it's not just unique to this department. I checked it out. It's all through the university. Okay. And it's all about this crap that you're being fed from the news media. We stand with countless Americans in affirming that Black Lives Matter. This is in the University of Florida. I'm just jumping around. How You can read it for yourself. Condemning these systems and affirming Black Lives is not enough. If this system is going to be meaningful, it must be an expression of concrete actions for which we can be held accountable. For this reason, the dance faculty has been uh, drafting a statement. Apart from the other statements similar to this issued throughout the university. I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just jumping around because it when I saw it, I spread it. I spread it to Tallahassee. Uh, this, this 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 is nuts. This is not academic freedom, telling the faculty that you must agree with this, are you, are we going to put you through re-doctrination camp? Um, here is what they're going to do with the curriculum, okay? I'm just jumping around. They're going to be committed to anti-racism. Here's what it's going to do. That department is going to decentralize colonial Eurocentric perspectives, and we're just talking about dance, for God's sakes, in dance techniques by requiring each number of credits in three main movement practices for the first two years. They're going to make you study African dance. They're going to make you study West African dance. They're going to have a professor of this in order to make sure you understand how racist you are because you never thought of us dancing in Africa. They're complaining because African dance has usually been called world dance rather than African. You come on. Come on. And here is an individual comment. I blocked out the names because the names were in the original document. Here's what a, a, a frightened student response, an individual comment response was. 
As a white female, I am fully committed to deepening my understanding and awareness of systemic racism and devise ways to dismantle it in my everyday life and classes. I am reevaluating my approach to teaching with anti-racist practices at the forefront of my values. I will continue this work through workshops, attendance, open dialogue with colleagues and peers, and will keep an open door that welcomes conversations with students. I will cultivate, cultivate a safe and nourishing classroom space that is equitable and inclusive. This is at the University of Florida. I wonder if Wasserman Schultz, that idiot, has seen this letter. And if she has, she'd probably 150% approve of it because this is internal pressure at the university for the faculty to get its mind right or you won't be faculty here. Here's another person. Here's another comment. I, black, I blocked out. I didn't say I almost said black. I blocked out the name. As a white assistant professor, I commit fully to continuing my education as an anti-racist. Oh, God. And if I don't, I'll go to the gallows, my friends. Here's another comment, right? As a white dance artist and adjunct lecturer, I am fully committed to the work of undoing racism and dismantling white supremacy in all aspects of my life. Come on, come on, come on, are you kidding me? And so I get this headline in the Gainesville Sunset, lawmaker troubled by reports, huh? That academic freedom is being threatened at the University of Florida by Ron DeSantis. Because he has said, and he got wind of this, you know, he, uh, you know, the Ward Scott Files has got connections. He got wind of this. And he says, that ain't what we're about. That ain't what we're about. But the university has been turned into by the politicians that they object, the, the lefties, being interfered with by politicians, and they are the politicians, into an anti-Ron DeSantis group. I would submit to you. I've been a Senate president. I know these Senate presidents, okay? I know how this works. I have been advisors to college presidents. I know how they think. They are scared to death half the time of the faculty or the politicians. It's very rare that you find a really sound, solid college president. And all this crap about the trustees. The presidents work with the trustees and vice versa all the time. The trustees never know up from down. They're all, when Jeb Bush was elected governor, he fired all, I think it was 155, he fired all 155 community college boards of trustees and replaced all 155 with 
Republicans. Go check it out. Go check it out. Both sides do it. Who had been the governor before that? Childs. All the trustees were Democrats. It's a it's a, just a payback for contributing to the politicians. The trustees never know anything. How could they? It depends on the Senate presidents to give the presidents and the trustees honest, reliable, unbiased information. Period. There are not very many good Senate presidents either. And this is the conclusion by this Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's about as nutty as freed fried frazzles, okay? I am still troubled by alarming reports of a culture of fear, intimidation, and political pressure that appears to be stifling academic freedom and expression at UF. I just read you something that's doing that. I just read you something that's doing that. It's coming from their faculty internally. I gotta stop and get a breath of air here. It's just unbelievable. It's so bad that there has become a documented anti-bias, a documented bias against Asians. Asians do so well, and it's and the reason they do well in school is because of their family and their culture, which teaches them respect. I learned respect. That's in one of the tennis ads. I think it's from, uh, uh, you know, one of the tennis players had a school, and I guess it was Agassiz, and they paraded this little kid out. And they asked the little kid, what'd you learn at school? I learned respect. Well, the Asians do learn respect, and they learn respect for instruction. They learn respect for the mystery of learning and the discipline it takes to do it, and they do well, and they're being discriminated. They are being discriminated against in such high levels, supposed high levels of education as Harvard, who is demoting applications from Asians and promoting applications from blacks for racial preferencing, not on the basis of intellectual ability. Um, but I've always contended this hurts the blacks because let's say that you go into a doctor's office and the, I'm gonna just tell you the truth. You go into the doctor's office and the doctor is black. The first thing that you do in your mind is wonder if this person got to be the doctor on some sort of racial preference quotient. Did this person skirt the rigorous academic standards because of political interference that others had to go through? And if you'll notice, if you're in the medical system at all in any way as a patient, you'll notice that more and more are from India. India. High respect, high respect for learning there. Okay? Just take a look at it. I'm just telling the way it is. Don't blame the messenger. So, at this, you know, there's a, in 2014, this is out of the Wall Street Journal. It was a suit filed by nonprofit students for fair admissions accusing Harvard of violating Title VI of the Civil Rights Act which prohibits discrimination based on race by institutions that receive federal dollars. And um, in 2019, the Students for Fair Admissions lost its case 
at the district court. And in 2020, it was shut down at the First Circuit Court of Appeals, too. Um, so they asked the Supreme Court to take the case. And in June, the Supreme Court asked the Biden administration, <clears throat> let me flip my page here for you students, um, to weigh in. And, uh, and the Supreme Court did. It says in a 27-page brief that a Harvard saying that it uses racial preferences in its admissions is perfectly illegitimate. Uh, now, how come this happened? Uh, the Biden administration in February withdrew an almost identical suit. The Justice Department had filed uh, itself against Yale. And the department's U-turn here on racial preferences is another consequence of the 2020 election. Uh, <clears throat> this, uh, uh, this politics is, um, the Supreme Court is trying to get away from uh, because it's been vigorously accused of being politically interfered and biased as a result of this abortion stuff. Uh, so uh, it's it's uh, 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 muddied the water by by COVID because uh, uh, Trump called it a, a Chinese virus, and so uh, you know this has all become it's too much of a hot potato for the Supreme Court. So uh, uh, this is this is really a, an issue. Um, uh, you know, Supreme Court's trying not to get into these cases, uh, but the Pew Research Center shows the truth, according to this article, that 73% of Americans, including 62% of African-Americans and 65% of Hispanics, say that college and universities should not consider race or ethnicity when making decisions about student admissions. Let me, there's two different realities. That's obviously the people's reality, right? And the other is a political reality. What's the court, of course, is indulging in? Um, I don't know. I don't know. The cost of these racial preferences um, is, is yet to be determined. It's going to be. Um, and we got to decide whether the Supreme Court, according to this analysis here, has the stomach to declare squarely for the Constitution and against racial preferences. And um, gun rights get involved in this. Abortion gets involved in this. And people are questioning whether the Supreme Court is valuable at all. It's an unfortunate questioning. <clears throat> but it's uh, it's uh, it's all part of the way in which um, um, diversity has become tyrannical. It's um, it dominates teaching, it dominates research agendas. Uh, it's in the hard sciences. This is by Lawrence Krauss, who's analyzed it. There are many scientific disciplines that are uh, even like physics, uh, where uh, you've got now diversity offices. Uh, highly paid um, people in diversity offices that are developing procedures uh, to uh, ensure uh, that there's diversity. And the question becomes, at the same time, will there be, therefore, excellence? <coughs> uh, this gentleman here, who is chairman of the physics department, writing this article, <coughs> his name is... Um, uh, uh, Lawrence Krauss, he says that he had to write a statement justifying each appointment that he made that went to a white man. In other words, uh, if, you, if you're going to take a white guy over a black guy, uh, uh, since there was a diversity racial preference formula, uh, then you had to write a justification for it. Uh, when I was at 
the college and the Senate president, there was a problem like this at the college. Uh, the math department hired the very best person they could hire, but that person wasn't black. Um, the uh, dean at the time was black. The dean went down to the math department and chewed out the math department for not hiring a black. And the math department and the dean was black. And the math department told the dean, you know, we hired the best person. We didn't hire somebody on the basis of color. Well, the dean told the math department to uh, throw out the choice and start over again and keep looking until they got a black. So the president called me in because I was president of the Senate and said, it's a horrible mess. Can you straighten it out? Uh, so I said, I went to the I went to the dean because the Senate president can go to anybody he wants to go to, uh, including the president and say, listen, you know, here's what you probably ought to think about. So I had enormous influence. And I, I went to the dean and I said, listen, man, you stepped in it. You need to go down to this math department, and apologize. Well, he did because I was going to take him down there if he didn't. And he did. But he never apologized. He had this long winded presentation about all uh, oh, this ideology, abstraction and stuff. And the long and the short of it is, after that was over, the head of the math department came up to me privately and said, Ward, if you had not walked in with the dean, uh, we would not have let him come. But because you came with him, we knew that things were going to be set right because you were with him. Um, that's the kind of power I had as a Senate president. And I said, you know, I told I told the, the dean, I said, let me tell you, buddy, uh, as long as I'm the Senate president, we're not going to do that crap around here. And, and um, you know, the president of the college asked me to come over here and talk to you uh, because I'm talking on behalf of the entire Senate body. So that was an interesting that was an interesting part of my experience as a person was having to get involved in something like that. And um see it to a satisfactory conclusion. <clears throat> Generally, the smartest person we had on the math, uh, and we had some smart people, very smart people, uh, was from uh, 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 Iran. And uh, the, the, the Iranians are very, very good scientists. And we got our share of them when uh, Khomeini and that bunch took over and ran out the intellectuals. Uh, we in the academic world got our share of their brightest people. And we had several Iranian professors at our college that were really, really smart. And uh, uh, I often wondered, you know, what would you say about them? What racial preference do they fit? So this is what's going on in the universities. I wanted to give a little, uh, little time today to it to let you know from a guy who's been a Senate president, who's been a faculty member, uh, who's been a politician, who's been a manager of politicians, who's been a professor, who's been a coach. It's been all these things, the world according to the Warthog. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Warthog of Command Center, Manly Command Center, out.